0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: If you're a farmer in New York State, join the New York State Grown and Certified Program to let people know your food is grown right, right here. Learn more at certified.ny.gov.
2: listening to Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. So we all know that uh, being a chef and being a fiction writer are both creative fields that one can be in. Um, However, over the last, I don't know, couple years, maybe five years or so, I've noticed a growing sort of burgeoning uh, fusion of the two. uh, professions. And, uh, and that has manifested in several books that I've seen that are food, uh, food focused fiction. So novels having to do with chefs, novels by chefs, um, And so forth. So uh, I actually, um, there was a panel discussion about this at the Food Book Fair last year, where we had a few authors speak. And um, just as expected, there's been more and more books coming out in this sort of food fiction genre. So I'm really excited to welcome one such author. Her name is Louise Miller. She is the author of the debut novel, The City Baker's Guide to Country Living. And she's on the line. How are you, Louise? Hi, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, congratulations. Thank you so much for joining. And uh you're in Boston, right? Is that where we're I am, yes. talking to you from? Excellent. Um, okay, so Louise, this is uh, you're a you're a pastry chef and your novel has a main character who is a pastry chef. Olivia Rawlings. Okay. Was there was it you know, how did you come across writing about this actually? Tell us a little bit about yourself and when when you got the idea to, to write a novel. Because 'Cause you've been baking, you've been, you know, working in kitchens. Um when, when yeah, I've been it?
3: baking for a long time. I've been mm-hmm. baking for over twenty two years. Wow. Um but I think the entire time that I've been baking i've kind of fantasized about writing i <laughs> <laughs> um, I've, I've <laughs> it would writing. Have a long time to think about something uh-huh. um, but I um let it simmer yeah <laughs> i've just I've always yeah I've always been an avid reader, and um yeah i just I had left art school kind of with the intention to start writing and got waylaid by life um, and never. It seemed like the longer I kept away from it, the bigger it got. (laughs) Well,
2: you uh, know, (laughs) being a chef, you know, that's some busy, busy thing. You know, you're you're working, you know, in kitchens in Boston, and uh, it's a demanding lifestyle, isn't it?
3: It's a very demanding lifestyle. It's very time consuming, physically Um, too. But the yeah, Yeah. physically very. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. It really is demanding. But so the idea from the book came, I kind of, I really did mull this story over for about 10 years. Um, (laughs) Wow. But it came from a couple of things. There was a, um, whenever I make baked Alaska at my job, which I do do on occasion, the the chefs in the kitchen always make fun of me and they always threaten to send me out into the crowd to carry it around. Oh my gosh. Which is a tradition. Wait, can we talk,
2: um, can we describe a little bit for anyone who doesn't know what a baked Alaska is? Because I know it's a very elaborate, hard to make dessert, right?
3: So. Well, it's funny, you know. It's actually it's so deceptive because it's oh. really simple. Okay, it's all it is is okay. a um, it's a Genoise sponge cake layered with ice cream, and then it's just covered in meringue. Yeah, and then it's covered. It's doused in, you know, usually the I can't porch. remember the name of it. One hundred and fifty proof rum, um, uh. and then lit on fire. <laughs> 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 so the. Um, so okay. one of the times when the chefs were kind of making fun of me and threatening to send me out into the the function to parade around, mm-hmm. all I could think was, oh, I'm really clumsy and what would happen if I dropped it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that idea was mulling around in my head, and then um, the other... Like element of the story was years and years ago, like maybe fifteen years ago, I had entered into my local um, county fair apple pie baking contest, Mm -hmm. Um, and I had just I did it on kind of a lark, and I dropped the pie off, and I went and enjoyed the fair, and then when I came back, um, they said to come back around seven, and they would announce the winners, and when I came back at seven, there was like maybe a hundred bakers. Um, all in front of the kitchen was in like an arts and crafts house, like mm-hmm. like a grange hall. And there's a big glass window um, that separated the kitchen from the rest of the room. And it was just a hundred bakers kind of silently watching three judges eat pie. And um, so the judging had gone really late and um, there ended up being like a record number of pies that year. Uh-oh. And so I just have, so I carried this image around in my head for years of like, what was at stake for all these people and why was it so competitive and, you know, and just, yeah, yeah that just kept intense. ruminating. <laughs> so that, would... um, yeah, just the, Id- so, oh, sorry. Oh, just no, the idea ahead. of like what weight that could have in the community. Mm. Um, so those two things came together and started the novel.
2: Ah, cool. So kind of building around this, you know, what if, what kind of drama is going on here and taking that in as your, I guess the main drama of the story, um, and going from there. Uh, Exactly. I I mean, this is so cool. So you, you know, you, you decided to write this novel, I guess, a long time ago, but uh, it came out, you're now 45. So um, first of all, congratulations. But um, so is this a career change for you? Or do you think that this will be? um, I I don't know, where do you hope to go with with uh, food writing? Or? Novel
3: yeah, writing, I'm, fiction. You know, I'm so Free curious fiction. myself. I don't know. <laughs> okay, awesome. <laughs> um, I definitely. Um, yeah, it took me. I didn't start. This is actually the first novel that I've ever written, and it's. Um, I started when I was 38, so it's definitely kind of a I'm a late bloomer in that department. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know, I'm the kind of person, I really marvel at my writing friends that have desk jobs because mm. I just can't imagine being, sitting and being in front of a computer all day yeah. and then coming home and sitting in front of my computer. Yeah. So I feel like, I was asked recently, you know, if I had to choose one, you know, what baking or writing, what would I do? And I the two work so well together for me. Um, it's... The writing is a wonderful counterpoint to the the physical work I do baking. But I also, um, I've kind of, especially when I was revising for my editor and under a deadline, I kind of created this process where I I usually work around 6 till 2 in the afternoon and then I write after that at the library around the corner from my work. And so what I do at the end of my writing session is I leave myself a list of questions to mull over the next day at work. Okay. Because I spend, That's a, a, good I spend tip. a lot of time, you know, chopping flats of strawberries mm-hmm. or, you know, chopping, peeling, you know, 20 pounds of apples. So I have a lot of time to think. And so baking's kind of become part of my process. So when I actually sit down to write, I'm really ready to write. I don't have to spend a lot of time. Whoa. Making decisions.
2: I think that's a great tip um, for anyone who's trying to do something maybe on the side or or change careers, kind of late like bloomer ish. Um, but yeah, it's so funny. We were just talking with uh, you know last week with our last guest uh, Diana Henry about you know needing to have this balance of doing things like really just kind of. Mm-hmm. Zenning out and doing something physical and focusing on like the sensations of chopping something Instead Mm -hmm. of you know in addition to sort of being in your head or being at a desk and writing or something like that Yeah, so it's really yeah, I find that
3: so important. It's it's I can't imagine one without the other I think I would end up, you know, like walking 40 miles a week or something (laughs) trying to think of things because yeah, it's that thing of, like, people talk about ideas coming to them in the shower, ideas coming to them when they're driving. That's definitely how it is for me in the kitchen. Um, yeah. And it also had this, like, wonderful side effect of it, uh, writing about baking made me so much more mindful in my job. Mm. Um, so I, I came to, like, really enjoy it's my work in yeah. this whole, like, deeper level um, because I was just paying a lot closer attention.
2: That's
3: um, so and- yeah, just it made work fresher for me, which was great.
2: That's awesome. Um, do you think that cooking something that is just brilliant and creative and hard, maybe difficult, uh, what's What's harder or what's more satisfying, cooking something or trying to write about that dish or that food? Oh, gosh.
3: <laughs> They're so different. I find writing about food a million times harder than cooking. <laughs> um, and I think, too, cooking is so satisfying because... You know, you start off you with raw physical, ingredients, yeah. and within a couple hours, you're handing it to someone and you're getting a response. Or eating it. Um, or eating it, yeah, and, and yeah, reading it yourself. You can't eat your writing. And, um, unfortunately. You know, writing, it was like seven years later. Um, oh. So, yeah. definitely different process. Um, it's so fun. So, know, they're really different, they feel like really different parts of my brain. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, um, I guess, the characters that you, that you, you know, it starts off with uh, Olivia. As you mentioned, she also enters a pie contest. And mm-hmm. uh, I have been to many, uh, you know, amateur cook-off or and pie contests, and I know that these things can get really, uh, you know, high tensions, high drama, high stakes uh, pretty quickly. <laughs> so, um what? Okay, so how did she do in this pie contest? Let's talk about it. So,
3: okay. oh gosh, in the in the book, it's um, I don't we want to don't... give too much away. Oh, okay. it's kind of the climax at the end. Yeah, um, but, but she's really she's got she's gotten you know taken into this world by she takes a job at a small inn mm-hmm. in northern Vermont where her best friend lives, um, and she's really been hired for ulterior motives. She thinks she's taking on a very kind of quaint simple job um and really the innkeeper whose family has won the contest for generations has started losing for the last three years and so she's been hired to kind of get the innkeeper back on top um Mm -hmm. but she doesn't know that for a little while into the book and then she doesn't know the reasons why the woman's losing until the end
2: Mm. Um, i love i just love the how that like sort of takes you really um Back into I don't know if anyone's been to like a state fair, county fair, um, just just like the fun nostalgia of you know the the fr- fried dough all around here and the cider donuts and it was a you know the mm. Ferris wheel and so forth um, you know it it was just a really fun kind of read to go to get transported back into a somewhat familiar place so uh, wow, that's a fun you so scene. Much. Um, we're going to cut to a quick little inter- uh, commercial interlude, and we'll be right back chatting more with the Bees.
1: state cares about new york's farmers that's why we've developed the new york state grown and certified program it's a seal new yorkers can look for when they're shopping for food that comes from local farms customers are more likely to buy food that has the new york state grown and certified seal because it tells them that it comes from a farm that follows environmentally responsible farm safe protocols in other words the new york state grown and certified seal tells them their food is grown right right here in new york state You're a farmer with a lot to do, but the time it takes to sign up for the program is a great investment for your business because it lets shoppers know that your food meets higher standards, has passed assessments, and is produced by environmentally friendly farming practices. To learn about participating in the program, go to certified.ny.gov.
2: We are listening to Eat Your Words, and we're talking with Louise Miller, the author of The City Baker's Guide to Country, Liv- uh, Country Living. It's a novel just out from Viking Penguin. So, Louise, thanks for joining us. You still there? Yes. yes. Awesome. Um, so I have to ask this to all my food writing uh, novelists. Uh, what are You mentioned that you're a big reader. So do you have any sort of um, idols that you look up to anyone who sort of inspired your work?
3: Oh, wow, that's a wonderful question. I'm trying to think food writing. Well, I'm a huge fan of, of J. Ryan Straddle's book, Kitchens of the Great Midwest. I see
2: that he has oh, a nice blurb, oh, yeah.
3: Read. Yeah, I got to listen to his interview. I absolutely loved it. Oh, yeah, um, he was wonderful. And yeah. I love all of Ruth Reichel's memoirs. She has just like a wonderful, evocative way about writing about food. Um, last year, one of my um, favorite reads of last year was a book called *The Arrangement*, which was a oh novelization goodness. about M.F.K. Fisher.
2: Yes, we had um, her on the show as was, well.
3: That, yeah. that was a fascinating, fascinating novel.
2: That was that um, was a really good one. Yeah. Um, so cool. Okay, so so we're we're sort of looking into this kind of newer books and the newer genre of food books. Um, is that mostly what you read, or do you kind of, like, go out there and, like, read some, I don't know, other, like, romance and other stuff to kind of pepper your work with?
3: Yeah, I definitely, I read pretty widely, and mm-hmm. I tend to avoid um, stuff that's too much like what I'm trying to do just because yeah, I'm very I was susceptible yeah. to getting people's <laughs> rhythms in my head. Uh-huh. Um,
2: yeah, I wonder I if that's a good Ann thing I'm sorry. I was just wondering if that would be a good thing or distracting thing, or who knows what. So it's
3: funny. Yeah. I was just writing an interview with I think Sadie Smith, who was talking about how she actually consciously uses that to kind of, you know, if she's writing in one kind of way, she'll read something else, to right?
2: Help, yeah.
3: Uh, switch things up. I haven't tried that. I've always been a little afraid. Like I'm the kind of person that can like pick an accent up really fast. Mm. <laughs> so. Um, I tend to avoid it. Um, so, yeah, I try to I'll, – I'll read anything that grabs my attention. Mm-hmm. I just read uh, Commonwealth by Ann Patchett that I just adored. I'm a huge fan of hers. Okay. Um, and I think Maria semple's new one is up next. Mm-hmm. Cool. So was there um, – But I also – it's funny. I also I don't really watch food TV except for Great British Bake Off, which I adore. Um, but I tend not to come home. I always wonder if doctors watch like Grey's Anatomy or anything. Um, That's uh, a good question. I think people get so mad when people get it wrong, you know, so. Mm -hmm. um,
2: Yeah, you need to step away also and kind of like mix it up and then to do your best sometimes yeah um so was it was it hard to write about a character who has a similar career path to you so you know olivia is also a pastry chef um was this sort of like a a larger than life version of yourself
3: she you know she's so like the the logistics of our lives in terms of like we both I think the two things we have in common is we're both pastry chefs, and we both have were raised by single fathers. So those were the two uh-huh. reality pieces. But she's so different than me. It's um, I think, you know it's, uh, there's obviously little bits of me in there, but um, there's definitely bits of me in all the characters. Uh-huh. Um, but no, it was really um, it was kind of wonderful. I think to write about. Uh, something I'm so familiar with because I had never written a novel before and I just I admire people that write historical or they write stuff that's so outside of their reality but especially for that first book where Mm -hmm. I was just trying to figure out how a novel works I really loved getting to kind of lean on the details the daily details that I love and I think a big part of wanting to write I actually set out to really write a book that took place in a kitchen and this book barely takes place in a kitchen. Ah. But, um, but there's so much about working in a kitchen that I find funny and enjoyable and, mm. and just kind of great. It's 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 a world that I really love. So, um, so it was fun to kind of go into it and to go a little deeper.
2: Was this sort of like a vicarious travels for you as well? Because, um, your character Bolivia, uh, moves to this idyllic town in Vermont, leaving the city, and uh, that does sound like a, a common sort of dream for many city dwellers. Is that something that... Yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is definitely my, like, total Vermont fantasy, <laughs> where I... Uh, my, my One of my dearest, oldest friends does live in northern Vermont, and I've spent a lot there of time up there. There mm-hmm. um, And since my 20s, when she moved up there, um, since my 20s, I've just always had that question, could I do it? And I grew up, I'm a total city kid. I think the furthest out of the city I've lived is 10 miles. And, um, and we, you know, and on vacation we go to New Hampshire, but it was like to like very honky-tonk, like arcade and water park, New Hampshire. Mm. So but I had never spent any time really in nature or in a rural area, and I just fell hard. Um, <laughs> But I've just, so anyway, I've always just wrestled with that question. I, I feel like I'll go to my grave wondering if I could actually like, live in a rural area. Yeah. Um, but I live, I live such a kind of a happy city life, too, where I go to tons of plays and we eat out at restaurants from you know, different cultures every night. And you know, it's just like, it's, it's hard to imagine giving all that up. Yeah. So in my perfect world, I would just be independently wealthy and get to do both
2: or create a character and write a novel about it. And so you can sort of vicariously have you know
3: both yeah. sides.
2: The grass yeah, is always was, greener Yeah, it was a anyway.
3: wonderful, <laughs> kind of wonderful refuge mm-hmm. like to to go to Guthrie, um, the town that I made up. It was really, yeah, it was just a wonderful <laughs> escape.
2: Um, well, it's a wonderful escape to, to, to read as well. So thanks for right. letting us join in on this fantasy. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, We have not too much time left, but I do want to ask about the, um, you received a scholarship for this uh, novel, and uh, it was Grub Street's Novel Incubator Program, a year-long workshop for novelists. I
3: didn't know about this. Tell us about it. It's wonderful. So uh, Grub Street is an independent writing center in Boston, and they've just been... So, uh, such a critical part of my becoming a writer because, um, you know, Boston is, you know, it's the heart of academia, but I didn't, I dropped Mm -hmm. out of art school and never went back to college, so, you know, getting an MFA was off the table because I don't have an undergrad degree yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's a place where anyone can go, regardless of their background, and really study craft.
1: Mm. Um,
3: And so they developed, I was in the third year of the program, and I think it's in its fifth or sixth year now, um, a year-long like workshop where you meet every week for novelists who have a draft of their novel. And so it's 10 writers, okay. and um, we all read entire, entire books twice, so at the beginning and at the end. And we uh-huh. do a lot of revision in between. Um, so it was an incredible experience wow. and it really it really taught me how to work and it really taught me how to revise and yeah so you'd recommend amazing. it
2: That's really cool that it's also a year long too so it's like it really gives you that time to to re- actually you know meditate on it and let it
3: yeah yeah, absolutely, yeah, you really dig in and we were studying like all the craft elements at the same time and and really breaking our books apart and it was mm-hmm. yeah it was just night and day um how I approach writing before and after
2: nice well congrats from the um, from the aftermath of that and uh, what do you think um, what do you think is next do you think you'll continue are you working on another novel perhaps or will we continue I am, the journey I'm
3: working on uh-huh. a second book um, it takes place in the same fictional town but so far none of the same characters have shown up oh. um, and only one similar lo- the same location has showed up so okay far. so
2: not a sequel um, but kind of continuing in this town in the scene. Yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah. It felt really good to go back to the town.
2: Wow. Congratulations. I, I wanna read this one soon, so I hope it doesn't take twelve years again.
3: <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I'm on Deadline take... unfortunately okay. for the oh, unfortunately unfortunately. So, um, That's great. So yeah, no, no I so soon sooner than that.
2: Oh, congratulations. That is really exciting. Um, All right. Well, I guess that's about all the time we have. But thank you so much, Louise, for chatting with us. And I hope everyone checks out The City Baker's Guide to Country Living soon. Great. Thank you so much, Kathy. Awesome. And you can follow Louise at LouiseTheBaker on Twitter or on Facebook and on Instagram. And uh, okay, we'll chat next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks, everyone, at Heritage Radio.
0: I like the way you do. Whoa, the way you took it so slow.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on heritage radio Network.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. network.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.